Today we're moving into our third sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, one thing I just want to, <laughs> there's a lot in this. And I want to just really highlight something that's important for us to understand about the Sermon on the Mount. Because we read the Bible as a narrative. It was written as a narrative. So when we see this sermon, what we see is Jesus gathering a whole bunch of people on a mountainside, which is awkward in the first place, um, because, like, I don't know if you've done, you know, walking up mountains, and then you get everybody to sit on the mountain. They're facing the wrong way if you're, like, looking down on them, and if you're, like, preaching up at them, it's weird. So we've got people in this, in this setting on a mountain, and they're being spoken to, and this is an uninterrupted monologue. If you've got a red-letter Bible, which most of us don't even have physical Bibles anymore, but if your Bible is red-letter, it means Jesus is talking. And it's page after page of Jesus talking. It's a long sermon. If I were to preach the Sermon on the Mount sermon to you just by reading it, it would take me about, I don't know, it would take me about 35 minutes, which is okay, maybe 40 minutes. But the content and the structure of it would be moving so fast that you would just be overwhelmed with, like, what is going on? The reality is, this sermon was not preached one time. It wasn't like Matthew was sitting there in the crowd of the sermon, in the congregation, or the people, and uh, the, the, the Greek word is oklos, it's, it's crowd, um, and so he's not in the crowd and, and writing down everything that Jesus said. That's not what's actually happening here. What's more likely is Jesus is an itinerant speaker. He is going place to place all throughout Galilee, all around the Sea of Galilee, towards Jerusalem. And every time he stopped, he's picking up these major themes He's saying, okay, so this is what we're talking about here. And, and it's like he's got his, his topics. This is what he says. This is what he's talking about. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not just one sermon. It's his sermons. This is what he says. When he goes into a town, this is the message he brings. And he perpetuates it on and on and on. And he gives it. And so what Matthew's done is Matthew's put it into one spot inside of the text where it's like, here's where Jesus does his teaching. And if you watch the way that Matthew is structured as a book, you're, you're going to notice that we've got, we've got the, the, uh, the way that Matthew's uh, book introduces Jesus through genealogies. We've got the birth narrative. We've got the beginning of his ministry. Then we have his teaching, and then we go into his miracles and his proverbs, and then we go into the passion, death, resurrection. So that's the way that he structures his book. So he clumps all of his teaching at once. That means that when I'm teaching it as a sermon series in four weeks, it means I'm just cramming in a ton of Jesus taught theology into four weeks. So, pardon the speed. That's what I said that for. Um, we're going to uh, we're gonna we're gonna get right into it today, and I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to read the passage. And I don't have my big Bible with me, which means I'm doing it on my phone, and so it keeps on shutting off. And I'm like, oh, my settings. I should always fix my settings. Okay, let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you for becoming human. Thank you that you are a God who does not stay far off. 
that you have intended and intentionally created ways to be accessible. And we see this in the greatest example in your humanity in Jesus Christ. And so as we look at his teaching, as we look at what you said, Jesus, God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that we would be corrected, encouraged, and built up to do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. All right, let me read Matthew 6, 1 to 8. I'm going to make a few comments about it, and then we're going to get into the Lord's Prayer because that's what's in Matthew 6 today. Matthew 6, 1. Be aware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites in the synagogues do and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that what you give may be given in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Oh, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, For they think that they're going to be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay, wow. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. Here's what I want to say. The first thing that we're dealing with in this passage is Jesus is correcting something that is very human. He's correcting social ranking. He's saying, here's what you have In our religious systems, we have hyper-spiritual people. Yay, they're so spiritual. Have you ever met? I used to be a hyper-spiritual person. Um, I used to be really spiritual. You know, carrying my Bible around everywhere and thumping people over the head with it. I was awesome spiritual. And Jesus is saying, we're not looking for spiritual ranking. And the culture of Jesus' day and the culture of all churches runs into stratifying people based on their religious practice. How good are you at praying? Uh If you pray good, you're really good. You're really spiritual. How often do you attend church? If you're there every week, you have a higher ranking, apparently, than those who might not attend every week. Is Is that legitimate? And Jesus is like, no. This is not about spiritual ranking. If your spiritual reason for doing good work is about how you're seen by others, there is no eternal reward for you. You you got it already. What you were looking for was the recognition that you are superior. Oh, I got this. I am a good Christian. You're going to listen to me because I am such a good Christian. 
And we get that uptightness that's happening. And Jesus, right in the Sermon on the Mount, is like, don't do this in front of people. It's not about your rank. It's not about how good you are. We, we really need to be considering that. You know, we do this in every area of life, not just religion. Cars. What type of car you drive represents your social rank in this world. That's just the way it is. That's why car commercials actually work. The type of car you drive apparently says something about you, and if you doubt it, then check the feeling you get when you buy a new car. Check the feeling you get when you buy a used car. I know, I know that feeling so well where I'm just like, whoa. You know, there, we put our social rank in all kinds of different things. I know people that put their social rank in how clean their house is in comparison to somebody else. And, and so they're like, whoa, I've, I've got it together because my house is clean. And you're like, really? That's your rank? Humans rank each other. We all do it, and we try to put ourselves into who is better and who is worse because we are innately judges. We are judging everything. And so Jesus is like, here's something we need to consider. When it comes to your relationship with God, it is not about social rank. You don't rank because you pray good. That isn't, that isn't helping you in the way that God sees you. It's something that God is saying, I want your heart. Be willing to do it in secret. Be willing to pull away and not make a show. Show me that you're genuine in your approach to me. And keep it quiet. See, our motivation to pray fulfills a real human need. And the human need is not to get rank. The human need is to connect with God. It's a real human need. It is, it is cross-cultural. There are no cultures in human history that do not have a religious structure. It is, case point, it is a human need to connect with God. And so that's why we pray. You know, we, 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 because it fills a need, that is kind of feeding into our holiness rank. It's like, oh, well, how much I can quote the Bible, that makes me better. It's not really that. It's really just about a core need that we need to say, I have to connect with God. Prayer is a means to connect with God. That's just one of the things. We're going to get into the list of, of how we do that at the end. Um, when we pray and what we pray is, is not a formula, but where we're moving right now, because Jesus moves quickly on from reminding us that it's not a rank to into the formula, in, in, or into teaching the Lord's Prayer. It's not a formula, but it's actually giving us a focus. It's giving us a focus for how I communicate with God. So let's do this, and we're going to do it line by line. I'm not actually going to read the Lord's Prayer all at once. We're just going to go through line by line. It's going to show up on the screen, and I'm just going to make a couple comments about what's happening in the lines. Now, this could be a sermon series in and of itself, but I want us to pick up in quick order a couple of things that are happening here. So, the Lord's Prayer uh, starts with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed is your name. This, this point here, the approach to God is so important for us. You don't have to say, hallowed is your name, 
Because, I mean, that's one of those fancy words that if I go out in the mall and I, you know, oh, hallowed is your name. You know, it's not really connecting and it's really trying to give me social rank. But what he's saying here is recognize the position between God and me. Keep God as God in your prayers. Keep God as God. God's position is important for us to recognize because it's from God's position that we recognize that he has authority to do something. If God didn't have this position, if he was an equal to me, then why am I praying to him? That's a waste of time. That's like me praying to my wife who is an equal to me. Our, my wife right there. You are equal to me. And, and you're just like, what is, that's not a prayer. So when we approach God, the approach to God is the recognizing his authority. Hallowed is your name, our Father in heaven. Get this, this is the next one. Our, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, okay. This one is the core of what's happening here. Your kingdom come. When we approach God, the first thing we do is we recognize that I am lesser, he is greater. The next thing we do is we prioritize whose will gets done in my life. Guys, I've heard people pray for my entire life. Here's what a prayer usually sounds like. Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Please give me dot, dot, dot. We pray our will and expect God to listen. There is space for that, and we'll get to it, but we are way out of order. We are way out of order. The, f- the second thing we need to do is we recognize God's authority, then we recognize God's will. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your kingdom. Look, guys, when I think about the kingdom of God, what I think about oftentimes, I do one of two things. What I think about is like the the, the golden celestial city and like, oh, kingdom of God, way far away, somewhere, you know, later, whatever. Jesus' entire ministry was to establish his kingdom now. We, 2,000 years later, are a part of God's kingdom now. That means when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, we prioritize God's vision. Here's what happens if we don't. We live in the eternal now. Guys, imagine a world very different than right now. I don't care which way you go. You could go post-apocalyptic. Imagine, imagine this world right now is post-apocalyptic. That we're gathered and it's, you go outside and there's radiation everywhere. And, you know, just out there in the hallway, we have to put on hazmat suits to step outside because of nuclear fallout. And, you know, you've seen the movies. They're post-apocalyptic. Okay, here's what's going on in your mind. You, you can picture it, Sure. But to embrace that as a reality, yeah, that's not really happening. That's not, that's another story. This is what we do with the kingdom of God as well. 
we imagine that our life won't change. We call it the eternal now. Tomorrow I'm going to wake up, I'm going to go, well, I'm not uh, doing the whole work thing tomorrow. Sorry. Um, just realized. Tomorrow you're going to wake up, you're going to go, I wish I was on a plane to the Dominican. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, but you're going to go, you're going to get up, you're going to go to work, it's going to be normal, everything's going to run like normal, you're going to come home from work, you're going to, you're going to involve yourself in your evening routine, which is the normal thing, that's what's going to happen. And you think about that and you think that's what's going to perpetuate, that's the eternal now. What the prayer does right here is it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Right now, what changes? What changes? What is it about your experience tomorrow that doesn't represent your vision of God's kingdom in the future? Where's the contrast in your life where you say, I have my normal work, but if the kingdom of God was established, something in my normal work would be different. The way you care for your customer, the way you, the way you think about your normal work. Something's going to be different. The way you interact with your boss might be different. The prayer says, pray with God's vision, what would your work look like? What would your home life look like if the kingdom of God was fully functioning in all ways? What would change? Pray into that. Man, your prayer life is going to change. Your prayer life is going to be so different right there because you're just like, oh, oh yeah. Change the way I think about the whole world. Now we get into, once I've changed that, once my, my brain has been challenged around the will of God, my brain has been challenged about the way that I need to think about God and the approach, now I get into, okay, God, give us today our daily bread. Now I can move into that more like, God, I, I've got a need here. We just need you to be the provider. You're the one who is really in charge. And so from now we've got... We've got this attention that comes to us. God says, I'm right here for you. I will provide your needs. And so this is, this is a big deal. This is where we get out of order sometimes, where we just need to jump to, oh, needs, and we haven't thought about what God's kingdom looks like in the end. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Okay, the word debt right here is interesting because many people who have grown up in the church or around the church for a long time, they assume that this is sin. Forgive us our sin as we've forgiven those who sinned against us. The problem is that's actually not the word. The, the sin stuff comes later in, in, the, in the passage. This is about giving somebody what is due. God, forgive me when I haven't recognized what you're due, the attention, your position, your will. When I've, when I've lived my life so focused on the now that I haven't taken my eyes up to see the God who is working both in the now 
and into the eternal future. And this one is huge. Forgive us our debts as we haven't given you our due. Get this. We've also forgiven those who haven't acknowledged who we are, who've underplayed our value. Guys, there are people in this room that you've been undervalued and people haven't acknowledged the strength of who you are and the effect of what you bring and you've been underappreciated. And in this, in the Lord's Prayer, there is a point that says, God, forgive me when I haven't acknowledged you for who you are, for the strength of what you bring, for the value that you do in my life. And as I attempt to do that for others in my life, as I attempt to forgive those people in my life that didn't acknowledge who I am, didn't acknowledge who you were, who didn't acknowledge that you actually sacrificed to make that happen. And they just took it for granted. The amount of times that we have done the same thing to God is huge. We ask God to forgive us because we haven't placed him in the appropriate space. That's what's going on in that verse. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. We, we are immersed in the ways that destroy us. There's tons of things in our life that destroy us. There's tons of things that happen around us. And that is what is in contrast to the kingdom of God. And, and God isn't leading us into temptation. Just because there's crap happening at work or crap happening at your home or crap happening at your school, God's not leading you into temptation. What you're seeing is you're seeing a clear distinction between this is the way the world is operating under its own means, under its own push, you know, under its own inertia, and this is the way that God sees it. There's a contrast here, and when you live in the mire of everyday culture, living in its own inertia, and, and we fall into temptation, we can't turn around and say, well, God, you led me here. Well, that's why, that's why I, I messed up and I contributed to the evil around me. Well, it was situational. No, we pray to God, God, lead us not into temptation. And implied in that is help us see it for what it is. It's temptation to live anti, in, a, in a way that is against the kingdom of God. God's not leading us that way. God's saying there's something bigger and deliver us from evil. Here's the final hope where we say, we say, God, ultimately, regardless of my needs, regardless of anything else that's happened here, our cry is to be delivered from evil. To be delivered from the people and the situations and the, and, the, and the circumstances that make life suck. To, to see that just totally healed. The Lord's Prayer is not some nicety prayer that's like, oh yeah, let's just do this. No, the Lord's Prayer is this massive piece that takes our life perspective, refocuses it onto God's, and says, now let me align everything that way. Look, here's, some, here's five things on how we connect with God. We're going to hit this like so fast. It just continues on. Um, 
how we connect with God. What we already read today in 1 to, 1 to 8 was almsgiving. I preached a whole sermon on this. We connect with God through giving alms. It is just a thing. It's not about status, but it's a thing. Um, we give to the poor. We give to the things that need it. We give to the vision of God's kingdom. That's Bible. Two is prayer. We follow this, the example of the Lord's prayer. It puts us in the right place. It puts us in the right perspective where we say, oh, right, my, my, my present need is, is it's a part, but it's such a small part of this larger story where I'm setting the contrast between the kingdom of God and my own need. We, in, uh, we fast. Um, verses 16 to 18 Jesus talks about fasting. Once again, he resumes, when you fast, it's not a social status thing. Fasting's not a social status. When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and, and they try to be seen by others. No, anoint your head, wash your face so that fasting won't be seen by others. The whole thing is it's not to get you to uh, have spiritual status, but it is to get you to recognize Guys, if you don't eat for a day, every time your stomach growls should remind you that your attention should be focused on God today. You're setting the day aside to focus on God. That's what spiritual fasting is, and you do connect with God when you do these things. Number four is investing in the kingdom. 19, and 20, 19 to 24, I'm not going to have time to read it all, but this is where Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on, uh, on earth. Don't invest in the things on earth. Invest in the kingdom of God stuff. Alter your financial plan. Get this, Jesus is saying, alter your financial plan to invest in what God is doing, not in what is today. That's huge. Alter your financial plan. Where you place your treasure, your heart is going to follow. Because you're, you're, you will invest in what is important to you. If the kingdom of God is important to you, that's what you invest in. And your heart will follow that. And spiritual disciplines and practices. This is where Promise Church, this is what we do. The, the fact we just did Lectio. You know, sometimes in Lectio, you're going to feel like, oh, I just did it. Okay, cool. I, I read the, I, I listened to the scripture and God, you know, he showed up to somebody, but I didn't really feel anything. I got nothing out of it. The repeated times of practice makes it so that one time you're all of a sudden in Lectio and God just is able to speak to you because the practice is there and God goes, that one's for you. And, and you're just like, you just changed my life, God. Something happened there. The only way we get there is when we consistently go through the practice and we say, I'm going to meet with God. I'm going to meet with God. Our connection with God brings peace. Do not worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Don't worry about anything. God takes care of the sparrows. This is a paraphrase of 24 to, or 25 to 34. God takes care of the sparrows. You don't worry about your life because what God has done what God has done is he's taking care of you. He's taking care of absolutely everything, and he's taking care of it as he establishes his kingdom. The call of the meat of the Sermon on the Mount is not so that we get to look at our life and say, Oh, God, what can you do for me? I like it when you do stuff for me, God. It's not so that we can say, 
Oh, look at how spiritual I am. I'm so good. I do this fasting thing. I pray really good. I go through all these practices. No. The whole thing is this is about God, his kingdom, establishing here in your life. Make yourself aware of the contrast. God's doing something. God is working in that contrast, and he is establishing his kingdom. Our church says that we foreshadow the fulfillment of the promises of God, and that is what we do. We take this kingdom idea, and we go, oh, it would look like that. Oh, it would look like Teen Challenge having a proper kitchen so that they don't get shut down, so that they could keep on leading women who have been addicted to, to all kinds of things in their lives have been wrecked, coming to Jesus in this live-in treatment center. Oh, we're investing in that. That's what the kingdom of God does. And so, yeah, we didn't fix the addiction problem, but we definitely showed what the kingdom of God is. I got a couple questions. Uh, I think I actually might only have one, but let's check it out. It is, is there a place to share God by praying and doing publicly about our relationship with God, or do our own personal social motivations always come into it subconsciously? I had this discussion with a pastor yesterday, and, uh, and we, were talking, <laughs> we were talking about a pastoral role is, you know, show, model, do it. There are elements that I recognize that I may have to give up some of the reward because at some point, I'm like, this is how I do it. This is what prayer is. Watch. You will see me pray. You will hear that I spend two-hour blocks of time just in prayer, and God is doing something. But I don't intend it to be social status. Subconsciously, yeah, it, it's there. It is part of, the, part of the me, part of all of us, that is not what God is, is looking for. And so, yeah, it exists, and it is social status. Sometimes there might be a, a good time to pray publicly, and it, you know, it's good. But if that's the only time you're praying, wow, now we're starting to show your heart. So, yeah, there are times, I'm not saying don't pray publicly ever. You know, G Jesus would be a hypocrite then, because what he did is he's like, our Father who art in heaven in front of the crowds, and if I'm right about him preaching it again and again, it's something that he did. I'm going to invite Devin and the worship team to come up. Um, this is such a big deal, guys. We are not a community that is about ourselves. We aren't. And I know that when I was preparing for this church, pastors are telling me, oh, well, Christians want to go to a church that they hear, you know, hear about themselves and hear about how to be better Christians. And I'm like, I can't. I can't do that. We are here, and God teaches us a vision of this world where God dwells, and he's removed all evil, and he rules as king. And we teach that vision, and we lean into it as much as we can. Right now, we're a relatively small church that has big visions that, that we expect. Honestly, think about it for a second. Our church is like, what, 60 people, 70 people, maybe 80? I don't know. And, and we're we're leaning into a fundraiser that's going to try to raise 40 grand? I'm sorry. I don't got 40 grand. I don't got 40 grand. But God can do something because it's about his kingdom. It's about his kingdom. The whole thing is about him. And he's got it. So let me pray. 
God, I pray that you would raise our eyes beyond our now. That we would start to see an overlapped vision between our reality and the way you would have it. And that you would give us wisdom, communal insight, into how to reach into the hearts and lives that, don't, that haven't yet been touched by the love of your kingdom. Help us do things that make a difference and not just be a people that come to church on a Sunday morning, but we're a people that actually do things. Give us strength and boldness. Give us the, the resources to do that which you've called us to do because this is your idea. And we look to you for absolutely everything. In Jesus' name, amen.